Healing of heart, soul, mind, and strength is always part of God's plan for our life. And just like we rely on things like physical therapy or going to the gym to get physically healthy, it's okay to rely on counseling or even medication for us to get emotionally and mentally healthy. And I think we have to give Christians permission to realize, number one, they're not immune to these struggles. And number two, there is nothing wrong with acknowledging that they're not okay and then getting the help that they need. That's Deborah Faleta, and she's with us today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, the last couple of years has really highlighted the importance of health, all aspects of it, including physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And in the face of COVID, hopefully we're, we're looking in the rearview mirror of that, uh, we all scrambled to be as healthy as possible. But there's a lot of underlying stress, worry, sorrow, anguish uh, woven into the mix. Mm -hmm. And we hear from families every day who are broken and hurting. So as you listen along today with one of the best of the best guests we've had this past year, I think she will stir in your heart some questions you may need some help answering. Mm. And that guest is Deborah Faleta. Uh, her content always hits the mark with our audience, and she's a licensed professional counselor, a, a national speaker, a relationship expert, and uh, a wife and mom to four. And she's written a great book that addresses some of the topics that we'll be discussing today. It's called Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. Deborah, welcome back to Focus. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, it is good to be here. Uh, you know, knowing you, you have four children, a fairly recent arrival. Yeah. So your hands are full. Yes, it's very. It's been a bit of a chaotic time it's for you, too. It's a full season. <laughs> Let's put it that way. So your kids are like uh, from 11 to 1, right? Or 12 yeah. to 1. Yeah. That is so awesome. So you're living the dream. Yeah. I loved it. Somebody gave me great advice saying, you know, every stage of parenting has been great. And this was an empty nester. Oh. So I've tried to hold to that. Uh, just every stage, enjoy it and uh, remember the highlights from it. So isn't that yeah, good advice? Yeah, it is, absolutely. Uh, coming to today's topic, the am I okay kind of question, there are some big issues out there in the culture right now. Mm -hmm. And as a counselor, uh, you aim to help people get back on track. What are some of the general things that you're seeing with your clients? You know, I would tell you this. The main thing is that we're not as healthy as we think we are. Uh. And we just talked about parenting, and I think sometimes we have a tendency to focus so much on our children, our marriage, our ministry, and neglect how healthy we are. Our lack of. Our lack of health. They did a study, and they took a bunch of people, and they asked them to rate themselves on a scale. How good do you think you drive? How kind are you? And the majority of people rated themselves better than average. Oh, we good. I we feel can't better. all be better than average, I think I right? would do that, too. And they took that same study even to the prisons, and the prisoners rated themselves as better than average. So pastors to prisoners, we all have a tendency to think that we're doing better than mm. we really are. Well, let me ask you this question and certainly knock it down. I'm not trying to persuade you, but could that be a mechanism to get through the day that God provides this maybe overly optimistic opinion mm. of ourselves so we can cope? Or is that... You know, at some point, that's not a healthy thing. You know, I think there's a level of optimism that's healthy. But I think when we go through life never acknowledging the hard things, avoiding them, repressing them, pretending like they're not there, 
there's going to be a point where they hit us. There's going to be a point where they start to bring us down. And I think a lot of people have seen that happen over the past two years since COVID and all of the things we've been going through. All of the hard things that we're not dealing with are starting to come to the surface. Yeah, and there's some crazy things. I think the post-op on this whole pandemic thing is going to be quite brutal. I think to so too. everybody who was engaged in trying to manage it for the country. I, I don't think it's going to be pretty. Because we've been in survival mode for so long. And in survival mode, you're just trying to get through. But once you get to the other side, that's when it starts to hit you. And that's when you have to really face some of those hard things. Let me ask you the, just the big why, the general why question. Uh, we as Christians, you know, we, we believe we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. So yes. in that context, when we look at our well-being, you know, I think generally we don't pay enough attention to our physical health. I, you know, some people really are good at it. I think Colorado here is one of the yeah. fittest states in the United States. Mm-hmm. But again, it's an outlier. And then, you know, moving right through that to emotional health, mental health, and spiritual health. Describe those. You know, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord with all your heart soul, mind, and strength. And he could have just said, love the Lord, period. But he broke those up into four quadrants because they represent different parts of our health, emotional health, spiritual health, mental health, and physical health. And so I think it's really important that we kind of focus on all of those things. Yeah, which is good. And But it, understanding it is part of the battle because we, I mean, lay people, you are a counselor, so you get it. But a lot of us don't know how to assess or even be mindful of an unhealthy state. Let's move to a topic that we get here often at Focus on the Family, dealing with toxic people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things. I mean, we might have an optimistic view of, of ourselves, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, dealing with toxic people is such a hard thing. So first, I guess, is what's the definition of a toxic person? And then ha- what are some good tools, spiritually and mentally, to use in those kinds of relationships? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's important that we started the conversation talking about our personal health, because when you become healthy, you recognize toxic people more than you would have if you weren't healthy. Mm. And so once you start working on yourself and taking ownership for what you need to work on, then you kind of look around you. And you can see when there's people in your life that aren't living in a healthy way, that are tearing you down, that are manipulative, that are constantly negative, that are critical all the time. And when we talk about toxicity, we're not talking about a one-time event. I mean, we all have a little bit of toxicity in us because we're sinful human beings. What we're talking about is a pattern of behavior that is constantly bringing you down and constantly bringing the people around you down as well. Yeah, and it's important. I I don't know if we are educated enough or aware enough of knowing that toxic personality. Can you give us a little more in terms of the adjectives? What does that relationship look like when the one person, let's assume it's you, the listener, you're in a pretty healthy place, and then you have this girlfriend who does name those characteristics? A toxic person is always going to be um, using manipulative means. They're selfish, they're spiteful, Um, They like to bring others down with their words, with their actions, and they don't take responsibility. It's always everybody else's fault. Mm. Um, So there's a lot of things that you're looking for in that pattern of behavior. In that regard, uh, Deborah, so let's say I have a coworker. This is a hypothetical because everybody at Focus on the Family is wonderful to work with. (laughs) Uh, But let's say I have a coworker and they're really, I can't avoid them, but they're always negative. They're just pulling me down even though I want to be positive. How do I handle that? 
When it's a coworker or somebody that's not in close proximity, you know, not a family member, for example, it makes it a little bit easier because you can take responsibility for your interactions. I think when we talk about the term boundaries, what we're really looking at is what can I do here? What am I responsible for versus what can I force them to do? Because really, you can't make someone do anything. Yeah. But what you can do is begin to pull away. What you can do is set boundaries around your life and how you're going to respond or choose not to respond, the amount of time that you're going to spend with someone or lack thereof. And you start taking ownership of the things that you can change. And that's what begins to change the relationship. You know, one of the things I've observed, and then we're going to move on to some other topics, but I, I think even watching Jean, my wife, uh, when we were younger, certainly her stories uh, being in high school, she's a very kind person. That's her trait, you know, and People can take advantage of that, and I know people listening fit that category where you want to say yes so often, and Jean was like that. I mean, yeah. if I remember one of the things she told me about is I think two boys asked her to the prom, and she said yes to both because she couldn't wow. say no, oh. <laughs> and then she had to unwind that, right? Yeah. And you can apply that later in the 20s and 30s, and I, th I think a lot of people can connect with that, especially I think women tend to want to do the right thing, be there for people, help people, they nurture. I mean, it's right yeah, there. Yeah. So in that context, for the listener that maybe is in the 30s and 40s and hasn't built sufficient boundaries, what can they do to be aware of it? And what, how to manage the guilt feeling yeah. of saying no. Well, let me put it this way. One of my favorite analogies with a healthy relationship is seeing it like a plant. If you give a plant too much water, like in this case that you're talking about, I'm being too nice, I'm giving too much, I'm not expecting anything in return, the plant will die. If you give it too little water, huh. it will also die. And I think sometimes we need to see relationships in the context of a plant, realizing that when we're giving too much without expecting anything in return, we're actually doing our part to kill, destroy, and harm the relationship. Wow, that's good. But there is there a transaction um, emotionally for that person that's in that spot that they think by saying yes too much, oh, absolutely. they're earning brownie points or something to where they have to get get that right to say, wait a minute, this is costing my family, my husband, my relationship. For many of us, we give too much because it's rooted in guilt. We feel guilty or we don't feel like we're valuable enough to receive or we feel like God wants us to keep giving at the expense of ourselves. So a lot of it stems from unhealthy beliefs about ourselves mm. or about the world around us or even about God. And we have to get to the root of why we say yes too much, why we give too much in order to be able to start changing the pattern of our behavior. Mm. Yeah, no, that is so good. Let's move to codependency. Uh, it's a term that a lot of people may not understand. So maybe defining it would be the way to go. Uh, you have a story, in fact, about a young woman you counseled. What, what did codependency look like for her? You know, when you think about codependency, I want you to imagine two cups that are half full. And, and think about it this way. I counseled a woman who thought that marriage would fill up her cup. She thought it would give her the security and the safety and the purpose and the value and she gets into marriage, and within weeks, months, years, you name it, you realize that this relationship can't fill you up if you're not already full. Your relationship is only going to be as full and healthy as you are standing alone. Mm -hmm. And I think there's too many people that go into relationships thinking it's going to fill them up. It's going to give them security or purpose. And when we talk about codependency, we're talking about going into relationships out of our need 
versus out of what we have to give. In fact, you use that term uh, need love versus real love. Right. So describe those Mm -hmm. two. Need love drives you towards somebody based on what they can give to you because mm. you're feeling insecure. You're feeling like you're not enough standing alone. You're feeling like you don't have the value. You're looking for what they can give you. But real love doesn't look like that. When we look at Corinthians, First Corinthians 13, it's all about the actions of love. It's all about what we give in the relationship. And so I think we really have to come to terms with the relationships around us, whether we're talking about friendships or romantic relationships or marriage. Do I come to the table with a need to receive or am I coming to the table with a need to give? Mm-hmm. Those, those gaps that we recognize in our lives um, can be formed in a variety of ways. Many of them come from our childhood, these triggers, and you get into marriage, and oh boy, do we get to really become uh, professional at pushing each other's triggers, right? And these things, in some other person, it's not going to be a big deal. But when if I say something to Gene a certain way, boy, it gets a different response. And so speak to the childhood issue, and then you know, the the capability to recognize these things and then to begin to relax. Yeah, so I call them emotional sore spots. And whether they drive us to codependent relationships or whether they're what cause conflict in our relationships in the present, if you think about it like a sore spot, a black and blue spot. The other day I was leaving the house and I accidentally bumped my arm on the side of the door. It caused a black and blue mark. Well, then later my husband came over to to give me a side hug as we were, you know, talking. Which was very sweet of him. And he touched the (laughs) black and blue mark. And it hurt. Yes. But it wasn't because of what he did. It was because there was a wound already there. Hmm. And so if we think about that in the context of our emotional relationships, sometimes the wound is already there from childhood. Maybe I I didn't feel validated in childhood or, or I was neglected or abandoned or there was divorce in my family that made me feel a lack of value, well, later on in life, when somebody gets near those wounds, they're triggered and we hurt all over again. And what we don't realize is that many times it's rooted in those past unhealed hurts. Yeah. And that that seems like a daunting task to be that aware of yourself. I don't mean to... It does, doesn't it? it? it <laughs> it's an uphill thing yes. to really know yourself well enough to know why why is this triggering me? What do I have to do? What work do yes. I have to do in order to not let it penetrate or let that bruise yeah. hurt so much? Yeah. That's the real work, right? That's the real work. What does that look like? One of my favorite passages in scripture says, the purposes of a person's heart are like deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. When you think about drawing out waters in ancient times, they didn't just turn on a faucet and the water came out. You had to do the work. You had to go to the well. You had to bring up that water. It was blood, sweat, and tears work. Mm. And that's the work of becoming emotionally healthy. Sure, it's work and sure, it's difficult, but if if we want to have insight, if we want to have understanding of our own heart, we've got to do the work and draw it out. And I really believe we're not doing it alone because God is with us. The Holy Spirit guides us as we look back. And not only that, there's the help of professional counselors that we can rely on. Deborah, uh, 2020 with COVID, uh, a lot of the research is indicating right now the, the spikes in depression and anxiety. Yeah. And uh, I guess in that context, what are some of the signs? So people 
uh, can notice them. I, I would really encourage parents to be on the lookout with your children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because uh, I was uh, getting a haircut the other day, and in the waiting area, there was about an eight-year-old boy and his dad, and he was pretending to be a doctor and was saying, Daddy, let me give you a COVID shot, and was swabbing the arm with a tissue and a, you know, an invisible syringe. And I thought, wow, the impact of that. Here, this eight-year-old boy, that's his playtime with his dad, mm-hmm. is pretending to give him a vaccine. Um, that shows you how in tune children are with the world around them. Yeah. So how how do we notice depression and anxiety? What does it look like? Yeah, we talked earlier about how when we don't deal with certain things, they inevitably make their way to the surface. And I call that an emotional explosion, kind of like a volcano. The pressure just builds. And we've seen a lot of emotional explosions mm-hmm. this year. And when we talk about depression and anxiety, it's not just feelings of worry or sadness. Many times the emotional struggle starts to manifest in physical things. So all of a sudden you're not hungry or you're eating too much. Maybe you have insomnia and you can't sleep. Or maybe you're sleeping too much, you can't get out of bed. Maybe you're Mm -hmm. having a hard time concentrating. Maybe you feel fatigue and a lack of energy before you even get out of the bed. And all of these things point to something going on underneath the surface emotionally. And I think sometimes we write it off because we don't always understand the body-mind connection. But when you start feeling hopelessness and then you start seeing all of these things begin to manifest in your body, it's time to take a pause and check in and really ask yourself what's going on on the inside. Yeah. You know, so much of what we deal with and what we talk about with great guests like you is this, you know, informed, you're a counselor, you're an informed professional, you have, uh, you know, gone through the rigors of learning, training, practicing the art of counseling. It is a Christian thing to do, ironically, in my opinion. You don't need a state license to say it's good to help somebody. Right. And uh, But now combining those two things, you know, some people in the Christian community put kind of a stiff arm to counseling and psychology because it sounds too worldly. But the realness of that is combining both a great theological foundation with practical scientific application. The two kind of run together. They don't run apart. And that's the point, I guess, for the Christian community. It's okay to get help with a counselor. Mm. Healing of heart, soul, mind, and strength is always part of God's plan for our life. And just like we rely on things like physical therapy or going to the gym to get physically healthy, it's okay to rely on counseling or even medication for us to get emotionally and mentally healthy. And I think we have to give Christians permission to realize, number one, they're not immune to these struggles. And number two, there is nothing wrong with acknowledging Mm -hmm. that they're not okay and then getting the help that they need. Yeah, and I I think back to the idea of working toward a good goal with emotional well-being, God wants you in that place because you're more effective for him. I mean, it's not a selfish thing, but a healthy Christian is a magnificent tool in the hands of a mighty God, right? Absolutely. And the opposite is also true. (laughs) Correct. An unhealthy Christian is a magnificent tool that the enemy can use because all of that unhealth and struggle and conflict begins to overflow into all of our relationships Mm -hmm. and our family and our ministry. Yeah. Uh, And Deborah, in that regard, I'm going to press you a little bit. You you dealt with anxiety personally. It it impacted you. It affected you. Describe what happened in your own life and how you got through the forest of that. Mm. Christians are not immune and neither are licensed 
professional counselors, right? right? None of us are immune to the struggles of this world. And, you know, the trauma from my past paired with the stress in my present caused me to have an emotional explosion at one point in my life. And I dealt with different things from depression to anxiety to panic attacks that came to the surface in a stressful season of life. And I had to learn to recognize the symptoms and get myself into help, get myself the support that I needed. I'm not just talking the talk here. This is something that I have lived out. I've been, there has been a point in my life where I wasn't okay. Mm. And I needed to take the steps to get there. And I think in the book, you even relate that to your childhood where you were fearful about things and describe some of that. So we as parents, and even if we're experiencing some of that can relate to it. The roots of our past have so much impact on who we are today. And I think sometimes we look on a superficial level in the present without going back. But when I look back, I see glimpses of who I am today in my childhood. I was an overly sensitive child, and there's beauty in that. That's why I'm a therapist today. But on the other end of the spectrum of sensitivity is anxiety, where you're taking too much upon yourself. You're Mm. too aware of things. And so I think it's important for parents to be able to look for those traits in their children, early signs of anxiety, early signs of depression, and even realize that it's our role to help our children acknowledge our emotions and understand what's going on underneath the surface. Let me ask you, this is a really delicate example, but oftentimes here at Focus, if we're talking about marital strife, one of the things the producers are always reminding John and I to mention that if you're in an abusive relationship, You need to get yourself into safety. Uh, There's been some examples in the culture recently where people that should have known better did not give that advice to people who were in an abusive situation. And that's, that's such a poor choice not to help them in that moment. And sometimes that can end in death, right? right? Death of a spouse where you have a husband who's out of control and just cannot manage it. And a lot of Christian people may give the wrong advice. You know, stick with the marriage. No, you got to get yourself to safety, then work on the issues. But that's one of those examples of where you don't know if you're really seeing it. But as a counselor, how would you encourage people to not only be observant, but when they need to speak, to speak? Yeah. You know, just because something is familiar to you and you have seen it happen in your childhood or or in your marriage again and again, doesn't mean it's healthy. Sometimes we are so comfortable with unhealthy things that we don't call them out, that we don't recognize them, that we don't put some accountability there. If you're seeing signs of abuse in your relationship, if there's manipulation and selfishness and and you feel like you're not safe in your relationship, the first thing you need to do is get yourself to safety. Set those boundaries around yourself and then get yourself healthy. Work on yourself before you begin working on the relationship. Mm -hmm. Deborah, this has been so good. Uh, And you're so quick and capable of giving a pithy answer and getting right to the kind of the gym that people need to hear. And I so appreciate it. This is so good. And this is the second time we've come back to your wonderful book, Are You Really Okay? Getting Real About Who You Are, How You're Doing, and Why It Matters. And I'm sure we're going to have you back again and again and again. And the listeners just really love how you approach things. So thank you for being with us. Well, thank you. The main reminder here is just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're healthy. And we can work alongside of the Holy Spirit to get to a healthy place. A great reminder from Deborah Faleta.
on today's episode of Focus on the Family. And God is concerned about your well-being, your physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being. And I trust that you've been encouraged by Deborah to do a little self-assessment and examination and to lean in on God's care for you. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. And let me remind you that we're here for you if you're struggling. It may be that you or someone you know is not really okay. If it's a friend, then God may have put you in their path to walk them through this painful journey. And if you're needing help, please don't hesitate to call our counseling department where our trained therapists will be able to talk with you and help you. That number to call is 031-716-3300. Or you can get in touch via our website at safamily.co.za when you click the counseling button. We also have Deborah's book, Are You Really Okay? available. It's a book that will help you get healthy from the inside out. And you know, every day our counseling team hears from people ready to give up. Hurting marriages, broken families, people in despair. But when we give them the gift of family, they have hope for the future. Help us save and strengthen more families today. When you join Focus on the Families, give the gift of family campaign. You can make your donation online at safamily.co.za. You can also send us your contribution via EFT. All the details are on our website. That address again is safamily.co.za. Thanks for being with us today. I'm Graham Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa. I hope you'll plan to be with us tomorrow when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.